Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am sitting down here with Tim Hickel. He is a management coach who has helped remote and hybrid teams move faster, get more done, and feel less busy. Before starting his own remote management coaching firm, he spent a decade working in B2B SaaS, helping growth, high-growth companies scale to hit aggressive revenue goals. Tim, thanks for being on the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Sean. How are you? I'm awesome. I, and just kind of like, I always admired you in the sense of when you went through your marketing career, how positive you approach things and as well as how you communicated those things. And I, and even just even your LinkedIn post, even before you started this, this, uh, this journey with remote work is I really tuned into your post about talking about remote work, how to facilitate that, how to facilitate that communication between teams. And so I think the first question is going from LinkedIn posts, being a B2B tech SaaS and doing that to more, you know, being a, you know, remote work coach. Why did you start your remote work coach? Yeah, the biggest reason is because this is an idea I wanted to explore much more deeply. The truth of the matter is the genie's out of the bottle, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and we're not going back. This is the way the world is going to be working moving forward. Uh, there will be some companies that go back into offices, but for the most part, at this stage, I genuinely believe remote work is here to stay. And with that comes a whole bevy of new challenges that we need to step up and meet head on. I think uh, over the last two years, I have this weird experience, right? Because I spent two years pre-COVID working for a fully remote company. Uh, they were designed to be remote first, and I saw what it looks like when a team of software engineers that know what it means to put together a remote-first culture do that deliberately, do it on purpose. I then transitioned into a role where I was joining a team that historically had all been in the same room that was then forced to go remote due to COVID. And they ended up staying remote largely because it gave them access to a bunch of new talent. They hired VPs and executives out of Texas and California and Colorado and New York. And they were able to do so much more because they're operating as a remote first company. But making the transition from being co-located to being remote is much different than starting remote from day number one. And that sort of change management was not something that I had ever considered the impact of. I thought a lot about uh, what does it look like to build an effective remote team. What I hadn't considered is what it means to transition effectively from being a team that is all in the same room or it's all in the same city to being a largely uh, remote first asynchronous team. Right. That transition is huge. And I really wanted to explore this issue further. For me, this is as much of an academic interest as it is a business interest, because it's something that I think there's uh, there is there's still a lot of unknowns when it comes to uh, how we're going to make these transitions most effectively. Uh, but the other thing that I've found just really, really exciting as I dove deeper into this is looking at how much is possible when we truly take folks who are used to being in a co-located environment, who are used to fully synchronous work, being really meeting heavy, really focused on, I need butts and seats from nine to five every day, when you take those organizations and you truly transform them, you put them in a position where they're doing more asynchronous work, you put them in a position where they're acting in a remote first context, 
it's not just that they get more done. They feel less busy in the process, and people are able to live better lives outside of work as well. So I feel like there's a multiplier effect here that is going to cascade across the entire economy. Right now, we're dealing with that messy middle, and that's what I wanted to explore when I started this. And you said it perfectly, so I was kind of following, um, just reading some LinkedIn articles today, and you responded to somebody saying, like, hey, you know, rather than um, – you know, what do I fill in with my commute time if I'm working from home? It's like, oh, I can meditate. Oh, I can, you know, throw in a load of laundry. I can do other things where the work life is just not stopping and ending and that you're just focused in from nine to five, that it is a, it's a work life flow where it's kind of building upon things. And so I know you're really like diving in. We were just talking in the green room about some of this cool stuff you're working on here. And so kind of wanted to dive into that is like, how are you diving into the mess? What are you building in order to articulate this? So first is, what are you like, what are you working on? The second thing is, is how are you building those customer journeys and, and really facilitating the customer experience of the most positive light to this really messy problem that we're dealing with? Yeah, so there's a group that has gotten overlooked in all of this because I've had the privilege of talking to a lot of both executives and other folks that are in the remote work space uh, about this, there are a lot of people serving that sort of executive market right now, the folks who are responsible for those high-level decisions and trying to help them navigate this problem. But there's a massively underserved market, and that is the directors and managers. So the folks who are sitting there on the front lines, they're getting it from both ends. They're getting it from people at the top who are saying, uh, possibly we want to get people back into the office possibly saying, uh, I need, we need to be doing more with less right now because of the state of the economy. They're getting it top down. They're also getting it bottom up. They're getting pressure from their employees who want more freedom and autonomy, who want more flexibility, who don't want to go into the office, who are struggling with their own uh, finances because of inflation, right? So managers and directors, I feel like, are getting squeezed from both ends here. So I really wanted to meet that market by giving them the resources they need to be as successful as possible in this world. So what I'm working on right now, I've been heads down for the last couple of weeks building out uh, an online course that's focused on uh, helping managers become world-class at managing remote first teams. Uh, so this is designed specifically for either first-time managers or first-time remote managers Folks who didn't work in a remote environment before COVID, folks who would have been thrust into being remote managers, uh, I wanted to design a playbook for them that makes it easy for them to navigate and learn what their job is and how their roles and responsibilities have changed and evolved and what they can do to empower their teams to be more successful. Uh, and that has been, you know, so I've been diving in, I've been talking to tons of managers and directors to better understand their existing journey. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about from a, a customer journey and a customer flow perspective is so much of this, so much of what success looks like here, it, especially for those first time remote managers, is painting the vision of what success looks like up front. So uh, I actually, I just, I just had mentioned to you, I have to reorient some of the modules I've been building out. I have uh, several, uh, several modules I've already built out that I'm now reorganizing. And a large portion of that is because I realized the deeper I dove into some of the uh, tactics and strategies and mental models and frameworks that are essential to making a remote management role be successful, until I show you this is what you can do with this, 
it's really hard for someone to get their mind wrapped around, well, why do I need to learn that, right? I can sit here and tell you all I want. These are things that are necessary to be successful in a remote-first environment. But what I found as I've been diving in and building out this coursework is that it really starts with showing the promised land and the front end and being able to demonstrate this is what your life can look like if you follow these procedures, if you follow these frameworks, if you use these mental models, if you shift to an asynchronous working structure instead of a synchronous working structure, this is what your workday can look like. This is how you can set yourself up to have more freedom and autonomy in your own role, to set up your direct reports to have more freedom and autonomy in their own role, um, to get out of a bunch of useless Zoom meetings that you might be stuck in because I know a lot of the managers and directors I talk to are stuck in meetings all day, every day. Uh, five to seven hours a day of meetings is a nightmare. Um, but that's what a lot of remote first managers and directors are dealing with right now. And it's because they haven't set themselves up to succeed yet in a remote first environment. So step number one, and the thing that I'm putting front and center right now, and it's why I've been doing a lot of social posting as well, is showing the promised land first and really demonstrating this is what you could have, but you need to make changes in order to get there. And then providing the tools and the rule books that will help you get there. You hit on something and I've kind of been seeing out in kind of the tech space why we've kind of faltered um, and, and not doing our due diligence with customers as well as and especially employees to kind of deliver those customer journeys is that we automatically systematize things before we think about them, before we put processes or even iterative processes before we systematize it. And I just read an article, um, a guy that was you know using a tool and he says the difference between novice and expert is Novice goes straight to execution. Expert designs the processes and takes a step back and saying, is this the right way to go about executing? Are we testing the right things? And so what you've just laid out in the sense of this is what you could have. And here are the tools. That's it. Yeah. Um, and it's just like one of those small little pivoting moments of like, okay, how do I put the customer first? And it's very much reverse engineering that whole thought process. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be an arduous journey. It literally said when you were going through this stuff this week, you're like, oh, I built it out. Oh, wait a minute. What's the why behind it? And so it's building those sprints where you can quickly test stuff. And but the thing is, is that you've, you've kind of laid it out in the sense of what your thought process is with your newsletter, which really caught my eye because when we met in early January, you're like, hey, I'm doing this. And it was just the day that you're about to launch the newsletter doing everything. I think it was very uh, synchronous and, and meant to be in kidsmen or whatever you want to call it, that it happened that way. And so I started like diving into it. And the first thing you mentioned was synchronous versus asynchronous. And a lot of people get that word wrong or the intent around it. And I just wanted to start in with like, you know, the, the purpose of the newsletter as well as, you know, the feedback from it. So first of all, you know, why yeah. did you start this newsletter? And it is called the parasocial worker. Um, you can find it through your, everybody can find it through um, Tim's LinkedIn. Um, he's got articles out there in his post to subscribe it. It's under Substack, but more so of like, have you, what feedback have you received from this newsletter to start honing in on like, where do I tackle in the mess first? Where do I go from here? And just even just the general feedback of what people are saying, if it's resonating. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest reason why I started this, and uh, one of the things I've been focused on is I've, my subscriber base has been growing, is I've been really encouraging folks, I want to hear from you. Right. Because at the end of the day, I've, I've gone out of my way to try to invite as many people who I know who have thought really critically about this stuff to subscribe to my newsletter as possible, specifically because this isn't a promotional channel for me. This is a learning channel for me. This is a vehicle for me to share ideas, uh, share what's worked for me, share what hasn't worked for me uh, and dive into some of these topics and see what is and is not reflective of other people's experiences. So uh, I'm really fortunate and lucky. I've uh, had, I've gotten some great feedback already. Some of it's been really positive and encouraging. I've gotten a lot of, you know, that sort of general feedback, but some of the best feedback I've received, honestly, is I've had some folks that are responding to emails of mine and saying, Hey, Tim, I really love this post, but I'm not really sure that this is fully encapsulates what it's like to be in this environment, right? So, um, for example, like it is very easy for me to over-index when I talk about synchronous versus asynchronous work. It's very easy for me to over-index thinking about uh, roles like marketing or product development or engineering, which can thrive in asynchronous workflows. But I've gotten feedback from some folks in sales roles or customer success roles that say, well, Tim, a large portion of my job is hopping on client calls, and I can't really do that asynchronously. And so I need a different modality. Um, that's really helpful feedback because you know what? I've never worked in one of those roles before, so I don't know that I have that blind spot. And I can't build a system that can work for uh, everyone if I don't get feedback from everyone. So that's the type of feedback that honestly has been most enlightening to me is hearing from folks who say, listen, I, I, I see where you're coming from here. And maybe I agree with it in principle, but here's a blind spot that you're not seeing just because of your lived experience. Um, and I think going out of my way to solicit a lot of that feedback has been one of the, the most impactful things, not just with this newsletter, but throughout my career. Going out of my way to try to find who are the people who disagree with me here that I think have really good and thoughtful things to share that can help me grow and help me get better at this. Because candidly, if I had all the answers, I wouldn't be here right now. Oh, you're right. And and what you what you said what you said was build build systems everyone but you need to hear it from everyone so it's having that open feedback and the saying like and that's why i really liked your your vibe and your energy and how you present things in the sense of like i'm not going to take it to heart i'm learning let's just go through this process together what can i do to understand from your experiences it's going from very much the me mentality the we mentality where we see that on linkedin a lot where it is very promotional it is very about me or you know and it's not about the we in the sense of like, you know, here are my thoughts and my experiences. How, how does this resonate with you? And, and building it like social media should be building an open dialogue. Like that should be right. the healthy side of doing that and getting different experiences. Even when you were working at several companies where it expanded across not just one city, but other cities, continents, countries, like you name it, where you can get different perspectives on how the world is operating to best serve more people. Yeah. And but you're on it. Like you are you're well and you're also talking to a field that is that is doing it too. Where it is remote work. Like any like you can talk to someone over in Germany or India or Istanbul or whatever, and you're like you get a different perspective of how businesses and how people um view the world. 
but it's a beautiful thing in the sense of like, okay, I've expanded my mindset. I've expanded what I could do in order to, you know, even, you know, improve your own experience. Cause if you lived in narrow mindedness, you're, you're just going to stay in it. Um, and so we'd really like to, no more grilling questions here, but more so, uh, and I'll stop on my little rants of like, you know, the world's an infinite place and, and there's a lot of, there's still a lot of good to be had, but more so like share your story in the sense of, you know, you know, I think there's a lot of people who might feel uncomfortable uh, going out and finding people who disagree with them to help them grow. And so I think that'd be kind of a good way to kind of start with this in the sense of how did you approach it and how did you get better at it? And then who do you really seek out in the sense of making sure that it's not someone who is talking down at you, but more so of like someone who is, hey, I'm genuinely like, can I give my point of view kind of thing and seeing how this might help? Yeah, well, to to your point, there are a lot of people who are uncomfortable seeking out that sort of dissent. And by the way, I was one of them for a long time. And I still am some days, right? <laughs> this is not an area where I'm perfect either. This is an area of constant growth and evolution on, on my end. Um, but I will say that, like, honestly, I learned by getting hit in the face. I learned by getting punched in the mouth, right? I think that is... The truth of the matter is um, I went through a portion of my career where I really was dedicated to being right and being I, – I cared more about being right than getting it right. And, um, you know, I can sit here and wax poetic about why it's important to overcome that. But at the end of the day, I genuinely believe that I wouldn't have gotten to the place where I'm at now uh, where I do feel a deep level of comfort with that sort of dissent, that sort of disagreement with seeking out alternate opinions um, without going through the experience of what is it like when you live the alternate lifestyle? What is it like when you don't seek out dissent and instead you shun it away? Right. Um, there was a period of my career where that was more of my modus operandi was I hear somebody that disagrees with me or that has a different viewpoint or that, uh, you know, doesn't uh, share this same perspective. And I'm going to assume that they must be wrong, not that they're looking at this from a different angle that I'm not considering. And what I have found is nine times out of 10, when I take that approach, what ends up happening is something's going to sneak up and bite me in the butt. It just it that's what tends to happen. What tends to happen when I do the opposite, when I shine the flashlight on uh, dissenting opinions and on different ideas, there's sometimes I look at it and say, you know what, they bring an interesting perspective, but I don't agree with it. That's OK. That still happens. Just because I look at someone's opinion and I consider it seriously doesn't mean I have to agree with it. Um, but it puts me in a position where I have a much better understanding of the world around me. It helps me learn more. Um, and I don't know for, I, I don't know when it happened and I don't know what happened to, to get me to this place. But, um, what I can say is there's a point at, in my career and I've talked to a lot of smart people, much smarter than me, who I feel like have, have said the same type of thing where it, it became less about, uh, trying to go out and earn. And it became a lot more about trying to go out and learn because if I can really absorb the insights from people around me, the rest of my job is going to take care of itself. But if I'm dead set on, I'm the loudest voice in the room and I have to be considered right at all times, then 
I'm going to suck the oxygen away from the other people that I need to be successful. And I think especially as people get elevated into leadership roles, it's the single fastest way to demotivate your team is to position yourself as the expert that knows everything and them as the peons who uh, must kiss your ring and do as you say. Uh, The more that ideology is is lived out by leaders, the more uh, people's fires just end up getting snuffed out. And I think it's tragic. It is. I mean, and that kind of hits home of just, you know, positions that I look back in the sense of like, even just the opposite of like, I don't want to do that. Like I have the yeah. experience and, and people kind of look at that in the sense that they look on LinkedIn, if your trajectory of what you've done, and it shouldn't be like jobs and everything aren't a linear trajectory of the experiences that you've accumulated that you're bringing along with you, as well as you kind of point out something too, where you, you're, it's less about earning and more about learning in the sense that it's more about the power rather than forcing outcomes. It's more about, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. It's almost like the quantum or science magnetism of thing, like things just start naturally gravitating towards you and growth happens. But yeah. you still have to live in those states of uncomfortability because it's not in the sense of being scared. It's more in the sense of not knowing and just relying on trusting the process going through. And I really appreciate you going through that of saying how you trusted your own process of saying, well, I talked to other people who are smarter than me wiser than me, I think more so wiser than me of going through it and saying, well, this is what I went through because it resonated with. And I feel like that that's in your very much apparent in your leadership of why you talked about this, especially in your LinkedIn posts when you were, you know, your former, you know, former companies. And so more so, I think this is a great transition where it's not about um, the parasocial. It's not about remote work. It's not about you know, what you're like, not the modules and retooling those, but it's more so about you, Tim, you know, what, what gets you passionate, you know, getting up in the day uh, and going to work. And then, you know, what helps you recharge, what hobbies and health things that you do might, might seem mundane to you, but in actuality, um, you know, I've learned things and I, and I'm most assured that the, the listeners have learned things too. Yeah, absolutely. So for me personally, what gets me fired up in general is I like solving hard problems that help people, right? Uh, I at, I was actually just having coffee with somebody this morning and I was talking about how um, the biggest unifying force throughout my career has been I just keep getting drawn like a magnet into what is the big problem that needs to be solved. And in some ways, it's also led to some job hopping. In previous roles, because I get in, I solve a big problem and I get bored and I say, okay, well, what am I going to do next? The problem seems smaller now, right? And I want to go find another big problem to solve. So for me, it's, it's always been about, you know, how do I find a big problem that helps people in a way that I find meaningful? And that's what has drawn me into what I'm doing right now. And, you know, what is, I'm sure going to draw me into whatever I end up doing six months and 12 months and 24 months down the road is going to be continuing to pursue that same thing, right? How do I find really big, hairy, messy problems that I can untangle that have a real human impact? on people because at the end of the day that's what i care about the most is you know the the human element the human side of this but the other side of that to your point about recharging and personal health i mean that also takes a mental toll on me i'm a, a highly empathetic leader i talk a lot with my teams about how a lot of what we do we talk about it as knowledge work i 
don't think it's knowledge work. I think a lot of what we do is more emotional labor than it is knowledge work um, because of how much of what we do is truly, it's not about uh, being the smartest person in the room. It's about getting teams to operate effectively together. Emotional IQ is how we do that. Not by being the smartest manager in the world. This is emotional labor. And that could be draining for me. So, you know, I actually, after dealing with burnout a lot, one of the uh, hobbies that I've picked up and I've gotten, um, I'm, I'm still not good enough to claim this as a, as a great hobby of mine, but I've gotten pretty into golf over the last couple of years, um, specifically because golf is one of the few things that in my life that is completely outside of work. There is no component that has sort of overlap there with my work life, but it's measurable. And it's measurable in a way that I find exciting and enlightening, right? Um, I went through phases and periods where I wanted to go lose 10 pounds or I wanted to lift more weight or I wanted to whatever. They were arbitrary benchmarks, right? And what I found was that wasn't very motivating for me. Because it didn't feel tangible. It, was, it didn't feel as tangible to me as being able to say, I want to go take three strokes off my golf game and then diving into, okay, what do I need to do for my core? What do I need to do for my legs? What do I need to do for my arms to get that outcome? What do I need to be doing when it comes to practice? What do I need to do for my long game and my short game? Uh, then next thing you know, I have to build out a spreadsheet because I have to start looking at my distances on each one of my clubs and what club do I need to add distance to right now? What clubs do I need to add accuracy to, right? These are all things that like two years ago, I was just trying to learn how to hit the damn ball straight, right? I mean, it was, uh, and, and, but it's become something that it's become an outlet for me. It has sort of captured both uh, something that is completely not work-related, but then also has allowed me to explore it using some of the tools and methods that I've used to be successful in other roles where I'm, I'm leveraging data and spreadsheets and shot tracking and a lot of different things to try to improve at this, at this thing. So um, that's been an outlet I've used a lot. It's helped with my physical health. It's helped with my mental health. I also always recommend everybody gets into therapy. Um, I've, <laughs> I have cycled through a couple therapists over the past five years. I'm currently working with a guy named Martin who I love. Uh, but I, uh, I, uh, I also think that's such a useful, especially as we take on new challenges in life, you know, really le letting a trained professional help us with those things and help navigate those things so that our own anxieties um, and our own head trash, uh, a friend of mine calls it static in the attic, you know, uh, <laughs> that static in the attic doesn't get in the way of ultimately our success, right? You know, Tim, I, now I learned so much more about you, and I appreciate you that much more and grateful that we had this chat because uh, we're kismet in certain aspects of how we do things, but we do things in different ways, or we see things that are based on our experiences. But I think the, the, the parallel into that is that we've improved our intrinsic value, and then yeah. everything external just becomes that much better where we have outlets, where it's not – we're not transferring the external stuff to something else from a work to a hobby to something else that we are our own person and everything goes back to us as well as I love that you solve messy problems because I love solving uh, complex problems as I put it, because then you get to a point where you're like, this isn't like, this isn't fun anymore. And it should be, it should be solving and helping really help people make impact. But you're taking that step further of becoming a leader 
and becoming a coach in order to help other people where the gratification is the emotional intelligence connection to that. So, Tim, thank you for being on this episode, going through that, talking about remote work, talking about what you're working on. It's very exciting. It's very relevant. And I think the sky's the limit for you. Thanks so much, Sean. This is so fun. Looking forward to talking to you again soon. Sounds good. And to all the converged coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap. 